Good afternoon and welcome to Leveraging the Cloud as a cost-efficient innovation playground, a health system CIO media Inc. production sponsored by SADA. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments in the Q&A box, and we'll take those later in the program. Nice way to look at the screen. Click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the slides in the video boxes the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35 or 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Dr. Zafar Chowdhury, SVP and CIO at Seattle Children's Hospital, Aaron Meary, CIO at Dell Medical School and UT Health Austin, and Michael Ames, Senior Director, Healthcare and Life Sciences with SADA. All right, let's jump right in. A lot of ground to cover and a lot of an important topic to educate about. Um, so far, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Hi, everyone. Zafar Chowdhury here from Seattle Children's. Our organization is a pediatric health system in the Pacific Northwest. We cover Washington, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. Culminates to about 46 sites across those four states, and we have about 13,000 employees taking care of kids. Excellent. Aaron? Good morning, Aaron Meary at the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome, Horns. Um, I am the CIO for the Dell Medical School and for the UT Health Austin um, side, so basically the entire healthcare delivery component of UT Austin. Um, my span of controls over obviously our clinical enterprise, our medical school, our research divisions, and everything that we do with our community and community impact. Uh, we're a multidisciplinary uh, academic health system, as you can imagine, hospitals, clinics, residency, GME, CME, research, top to bottom. And, you know, we have this little thing like a Longhorn football team, right, that are here, too. So uh, pretty busy and look forward to talking more about how we leverage cloud. Excellent. Thank you, Aaron. Michael? Hey, good morning, everybody. Michael Ames, Senior Director for Healthcare and Life Sciences at SADA. SADA is a Google Cloud consultancy, and my job is to work with Google and the healthcare industry to try to help bring solutions out to the industry that help solve whatever the healthcare challenges are that you're up against. So we work on everything from from what we think of as kind of on the simple end, how to improve collaboration and teamwork with tools like Google Workspace, right on up to custom app development, infrastructure for uh, data and analytics, machine learning and predictive models. Really, really happy to be here. Really appreciate Aaron and, and Zafar coming and joining and, and looking forward to the discussion. <clears throat> Very good, Aaron, let's start with you. How do you think about the relationships among innovation, experimentation and cost when it comes to IT? Yeah, so what's interesting is that in healthcare, traditionally we've always been cost averse and risk adverse. And that 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 has now completely shifted to where it's agility, rapid acceleration, and really taking the ideas that your clinical staff and your medical staff have and trying to execute and implement them. A lot of times meaning development or some sort of hosted cloud hosted solution to some degree or another. So when it comes to the relationships among those, they're, they're all nowadays very much synonymous with each other. Innovation goes along hand in hand with cost. And to the point of it, cost is no longer the only barrier or a, a, the most insurmountable challenge. It's is the partner you're working with able to innovate with you? Are they able to take those good ideas for the medical staff, say like a, 
a physician like Dr. Chaudhary and say, all right, uh, Zafar, what is it you're looking to do? How do you want to take care of this, this condition or this type of patient better, smarter, faster, cheaper, whatever, and really work through it? So to me, that's, that's the key in all of it is it's a symbiotic hand-in-hand approach that's evenly balanced and one that actually listens to what the caregivers are trying to do and what we're trying to execute on for the patients. So, Aaron, when you use the term partner, are you talking about the, the cloud service provider or mm-hmm. the uh, business partner, as in your example of Dr. Chowdhury? Yeah, no, it would be all the above, right? Yeah. You've got to have a willing partner in a any cloud service provider that's willing to listen to a Dr. Chowdhury and a Dr. Chowdhury who's willing to understand that what he is going to ask for is probably going to be foreign and alien to somebody who's not in healthcare until they can understand, right? So both have to have a seek first to understand, and it's the IT department's job to play translator and make mm-hmm. sure solutions and whatnot across the way, and that you're listening to your clinical staff. Very good, Michael. Yeah, I think I think we've observed a really interesting story this last year with all of the push into into telehealth. Speaking to an audience here of healthcare technology leaders, I don't think there's anybody on this call who was opposed to telehealth, right? We're the group of folks who for many years have been saying there's a better, cheaper way to deliver lots of kinds of patient care if we can work through the regulations, if we can, you know, work through, break through the old cultural boundaries, the the the, the payment and cost issues, um, then, then, you know, let, let's do this. We've been talking about it for so long, right? And it's been deeply gratifying of all of the terrible things that have come out of the pandemic to have been forced into a situation where we could prove that this thing works. What is a little bit painful to me looking at it, it in retrospect is that the the benefits that I think health systems are going to see going forward with telemedicine being a much bigger part of how care is delivered could have been something that we have enjoyed for for years now right the technology has been sufficient to deliver effective telemedicine for for a long time and and why were we not there I think it's because of this question it's because we don't really understand well that these investments in innovation, which do not have to be huge, can have payoffs on the other side in cost, right? It takes some bravery, it takes some courage. In the case of telemedicine, I get it. It also takes you know, convincing the federal government that certain services are worth being paid for. But I sit here right now and I think, what is the thing right now that we're also mi- missing out on because we aren't quite willing just to move forward and to take the next step run an experiment, do some innovation, and then figure out how to productionalize that in a way that'll help to, to, to manage costs and and, uh, and deliver better care. So, so it's the thing I spend a lot of time thinking about, right? What's the opportunity that we're missing right now? So the opportunity in terms of um, what what should we be spending on now so we're prepared to deal with whatever the future brings? So we're prepared. We don't have to react at that time. We've already put ourselves in a position to be successful? You know, I think about it not just in the context of what's the emergency that we're going to have to react to, but what are the new outcomes that we want to get in the future? But I think it's a really interesting way to ask the question, Anthony, because it took a crisis to get the whole industry, again, including the government, out of the box that was keeping a lid on telemedicine, right? So could we, as an industry, imagine the future crisis and think, okay, what is the next level thing that we should be doing now to be prepared for that? Not just to be prepared for that crisis, but because we should be doing it anyway. Telemedicine was a great solution to help us manage through the COVID-19 
crisis, but it's something that we need anyway. Maybe we can imagine the crisis and ask ourselves, what is the innovation that we're going to wish that we had then? And then let's not wait for the crisis and let's do it now, because even if that crisis never comes, maybe we'll be glad. Zafar, what are your thoughts? I, I agree with Aaron. I think clinicians are now demanding more agility from, from their IT shop in terms of what tools, technologies they can try, speed of delivery, bringing it to market is, is, has, has, has accelerated because of the pandemic. And we've seen that from patients, parents, and caregivers as well, demanding more. So yeah, examples, telehealth, apps, other things, access uh, to technology certainly skyrocketed. But it, what I find also quite interesting, certainly in our health system is, we always have to find the balance between how much we innovate as to how much we spend on keeping the lights on, doors open. And certainly I've seen in my system a reduction, right? So we have been asked to be leaner and also meaner in terms of how we deliver services. So it's not that the money is absolutely flowing and the floodgates are open for innovation. I think you have to find that balance between you know, what exam question are you trying to solve with the clinicians versus what you actually can do within a reasonable time frame. And, and the good news is the pandemic has stimulated clinicians to be more open to adoption. So you, you've seen technologies that I probably couldn't roll out being rolled out in weeks, weeks and months versus years on end and more openness to change as well. So you you do have to innovate. We're having to innovate a lot more, certainly in the pediatric space than ever before. But at the same time, you know, when you're sitting with the CFO, you're also talking about cost improvements and fiscal responsibility as well. Wow, Aaron, there's so much there. So a couple of things were the point Michael made about, and you've touched on this with us previously in different webinars about making the necessary investments so you're able to do things, right? That sort of underlying infrastructure and that type of thing. So that's one point that was made. Um, the other point that was made is we kind of, as IT departments, you showed what you can do during the pandemic. And now everybody goes, okay, now we know what you're capable of. And now that, that ramps up expectations. And the other point was about maintenance costs and sort of have to spending taking up 50, 60, 70%. So you've got this big budget and people go, well, you should be all, able to do all this stuff. And you say, yeah, but before I can get to anything extra, 70% of my budget's going to keeping the lights on. So lots of stuff there. Jump in where you want. Yeah, so I think, I think I'm think i going to actually continue what Zafra was going on the lineup, which answers all three of those points. You're exactly right. Um, you do have legacy spend you have to do, right? You have to pay your antivirus vendors. You have to pay your Microsoft EA. You have to do these things that, you know, you're not going to move away from some of those certain toolings. But are there are there ability to, can I redirect existing spend towards something new? Case in point, maybe I'm not buying as much uh, hybrid uh, storage, right, for a local on-site storage. Right? Maybe I'm buying more cloud storage and I'm making this up Amazon or Google or something else, Right. Am I able then to reallocate and redirect instead of buying a translator service that maybe is mediocre, focus it and build with a partner that's trying to build a translation service of the future that does tie to telehealth, right? So you're able to look at how these conversations in a very didactic manner with your clinicians, exactly like Zachary was talking about, 
that before they'd be like, don't you dare take away my tele uh, my telemedicine uh, translation service. But now it's like, look, we know that doesn't translate every language you want. And we know there's too many issues. So why don't we build something new, right? So you're able to have these conversations in a very interesting manner, but it also takes trust. I think, Anthony, you hit something nail on the head. You're seeing now across the country, the CIOs like, like Dr. Chauvin, the, the star CIOs that have built trust with their organizations to say, let's have fun conversations. And you're seeing organizations also cycle through CIOs who simply don't cut the mustard, right? There's a saying in Texas, you know, that dog won't, don't hunt. Well, that dog don't hunt. You're going to get rid of the dog and another dog. It's the reality situation. So does the organization have confidence in you that you have earned the right to have the conversation with the clinicians and they trust Yeah, you're going to execute? That's how you're able to do it. Other point you, you didn't bring up, Anthony, that I do want to highlight is hiring smartly. Right now, there is a talent war going on for all the things that we were just talking about, either it's DevOps, security, um, any cloud services, front-end developers, web developers, back-end developers. There's, there's, a, there's a fight for talent, right? Luckily, I have access to a great pool of, of university talent, but that's why everybody's moving here to Austin is to take them because that's, that's what you got to do. So to the degree of it, you have to work through these constructs and there's no way a Seattle Children's or UT Austin can pay what a Google pays. But what you can offer is the ability to maximize impact on the community in a way that's tangible and people can see the fruits of their labor. That's the differentiator in healthcare. All right, very good, very good. Uh, let's go to the next question. Um, Michael, let's, let's start with you on this one. Talk about the cost of IT experimentation in a non-cloud environment. What are the limitations and then the cost of a cloud environment and the benefits? Yeah, you know, just um, before I do that, if you don't mind, just a couple of comments on to, to tag on, on what Aaron was saying. First of all, side note, you don't, you don't actually have to pay that Microsoft EA. <laughs> uh, if you would like to learn more, contact me after the meeting. That's a good plug. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. If you're sick of your Microsoft EA, come and talk to me. Um, the second thing, uh, you know, Aaron mentioned trust, and and I think that um, that's a really great point, right? So it's interesting, you know, you think you're all part of one company, but everybody knows the IT department operates as its own entity, hopefully well integrated with lots of support and trust in the organizations. But I, I, I work with dozens of different healthcare organizations, and it is stark. The difference between the organizations where there is a level of trust beneath that CIO and, and the other constituent leaders in the organization and areas where that is not the case and they're working in isolation. And there's a really good question there about if you're not there, how do you get there? How do you build trust to say we are an organization that you, broader healthcare leadership, can trust to innovate here? And my suggestion is um, don't wait to be asked to do it. Figure out how to do some small innovation that adds value and get that out there and get that visible, right? And then build on that, do another one, do another one. Over time, we actually do see organizations that start to build trust and change the culture to one where the other leadership says, yeah, that IT department is helping us transform. And we're gonna give them more responsibility, more money so that they can do more of that for us. But it is often the IT department who has to take the first steps and not wait for others to come to them and say, this is what we need you to do. This is a great question because this is this is like a story that, that I lived about six years ago. We were trying to, to, to launch a big healthcare data warehouse at the University of Colorado. We were taking data from two different hospital organizations and we did it on a very traditional on-premises data warehousing platform with hardware sitting down in our server room and um, 
And it was amazing how how much money we spent only to find six months later that we had not spent half as much as we needed to, to get the sort of the capacity and the scalability to do the computational and storage work that we did. Um, that was when I started pursuing cloud technologies as a primary solution for us and understood the sort of miracle of pay-as-you-go pricing and consumption-based pricing. The idea that you don't have to start on day one of the project with a multi-million dollar hardware investment that is going to sit there mostly unused until you get the thing built, at which point you're probably just a few months or a year away from uh, exceeding that capacity and you've got to take another big step function to build and grow the capacity. Anytime there's a difference between the amount you're paying and the amount that you're consuming, you've got uh, uh, that, that, that adds up to waste, right? You've either overpaid on day one for hardware that is not being used or you've, or you've under allocated hardware and now you're not able to keep up with demand. So the, the, the true magic and miracle of, of cloud infrastructure, especially for the sort of bursty workloads of experimentation is spin up what you wanna use, go use it. If it's not big enough, spin up more. And then when you're done, shut it down and quit paying for it, right? So, so that to me is the, the, the major advantage as to why we ought to be doing experimental bursty workloads in the cloud all the time. Zafar, what are, what are you doing in the cloud today? What have you leveraged it for? And, and what do you think about this idea of, uh, of it being a good place to do experimentation uh, in a cost conscious manner? So I completely agree with the argument that Michael makes about the use of cloud, the ability to burst, the ability to ramp up and ramp down the technologies using cloud. Totally agree with that. I think there has to be, and there's a continuing cultural shift in healthcare organizations around spending CapEx versus moving to an OpEx model in cloud. For us at Children's, we've closed our data centers. We have 90% of our applications run in a private cloud, in a colo, and 10% run in the public cloud. So we're a strong user of AWS and actually the Dell VirtuStream cloud for our Epic EHR. So we, we see the value of it, but it's been a difficult journey to try and explain to finance why buying equipment and then depreciating it over five to seven years is not a good idea versus paying for what you use as the pay-as-you-go model makes complete sense. But yeah, the value for cloud for us has been able to test new applications, spin things up, spin things down. Absolutely, the use case is clear for it. It's how do you culturally evolve to that? And also, how do you convince your security folks that everything in the cloud is fully secure and connected correctly? Certainly some of the performance issues and latency issues are still of a concern. You know, unless you have dedicated pipes into certain clouds, you don't necessarily get the performance. And the other thing I've seen is the cloud vendors reluctant to sign up to solid uptime SLAs if you put stuff in their environment. We're still only seeing a 99.9% .9 guarantee on products like Office 365 and other things that you would put into the different clouds. And that doesn't work for many clinical applications. You know, you can't tell a clinician that they might lose X number of hours of access 
because the vendor won't guarantee the uptime. Yet when you run it yourself, you can guarantee better uptime. So that's something that will also have to shift on the vendor side of trying to understand healthcare. Aaron, what are you using the cloud for today? And what are your thoughts about this value equation? Yeah, so we are a, a hybrid private cloud, public cloud entity where I have a number of workloads that are on-premise and will probably stay on-premise due to the size of the files and size of what we're doing, especially we have a Texas Advanced Computing Center, which is, you know, has one of the fastest supercomputers in the world. At this point, the price point isn't there. Like put it, say, in Amazon or Google, those kinds of workloads. But our traditional workloads, the majority of them are running in a private cloud. Um, we are running our EHR in a private cloud. We are running our data center, our, our, all of our data warehouse uh, data center components in a private cloud, our SQL environments in a private cloud. Um, and, and then on the public cloud side, we are hosting a number of digital properties, digital development things that we have built. Uh, our, we have a new data warehouse actually being turned on next month in Amazon, believe it or not, that we're migrating everything to out of, the, out of our private cloud into a public cloud space so I can leverage compute on demand. And also because I'm also a giant research university, you got to realize how many times I get a call from a researcher with some very interesting project they've been funded to do. And normally they would have gone and bought some $30,000 device to stick in their office or in your, in your data center. It's like, you don't need to do that. anymore. You can now provision it in whatever cloud environment that has secure with a BAA, that does have security wrap around it, that does have some sort of virtual networking to it. So you're extending your subnets to it easily and you can accelerate them. It's like, look, every researcher wants to get to go quickly. They want to get their answer quick. They want to be proven right or wrong with the question they're asking is what they're funded to do. They don't want to wait six months for procurement. They don't want to wait for something to be shipped on a, on a truck. They just want it now. And in the age of COVID, there's no physical location to come into, right? Unless you are taking care of live animals and you're taking care of a vivarian or doing human trials, you're not going anywhere. You're doing it from your home. So the best way to enable that research is cloud environment. So again, research projects, our data warehouse coming online in the cloud, number of digital properties, and then specific for COVID, we have contact tracing uh, being hosted in the cloud and a lot of our vaccine uh, hub information uh, in the cloud, a number of other properties like that. Michael, uh, this is a question about the concerns, and Zafar brought up some of them. Um, what would your response be or your thoughts about those concerns? Yeah, I, I think that it is over-promising today to, to say that the, the public clouds particularly have fully knocked around, um, have knocked out concerns around things like latency. Um, because the fact is there's a big network between you and that data center and that data center might have the fastest internal fiber in the world connecting um, connecting machines. But if you've got skinny pipes between you and that and that data center, then there's going to be a challenge. Most public cloud providers have mechanisms to help address that to some degree. But if you're pushing a ton of live imaging, if you're streaming a bunch of IoT data and you need you know, millisecond response times to include the network and the compute and the outputs of that, then you have to be very careful about how you architect those things for the cloud. The, the good news is, is that most of us are not doing things that push it that hard and and the and and most IT organizations are, are going to be in a position to do the additional networking bandwidth and things that are necessary to to be able to get the 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 latency that they need for things like like standard business applications. Um, but you should ask questions, right? Make sure you're working with people who know what they're talking about and can tell you what those limitations are. Security though, I think I think that we're 
honestly, it's what is 2021. Can we finally say that it is very likely, I'm not even gonna say for sure, let's just say very likely that the security engineers, the teams of hundreds or thousands of security engineers running AWS and Azure and Google Cloud might actually have figured out security better than the couple of guys you've got running it down in the basement server room, right? It's time, I think, that we can that we can acknowledge that. We don't actually hear a lot of concerns these days about people saying, well, I, you know, I don't know if, if Google has properly secured the data. What there are are misconceptions more around the compliance and the use of the data. We address all the time this question of, if I put my data up into a public cloud, am I giving that public cloud authorization to use that data in some way that they should not? Now, again, I think this audience understands that now intrinsically, but as you talk to others and other stakeholders in your organizations about putting, putting data on the cloud, it's important that you, you almost have to lead with, um, you know, take, taking Google as an example, look, the Google AdSense marketing agency and Google's own healthcare innovation organizations are separate operating entities from Google Cloud and the terms of service spell out really clear. You put your data up here for your healthcare purposes, we don't get access to that data. We don't see it and we even have mechanisms to prove that we're not gonna see it. And that's true across public clouds. To, to those of us who are working in this business, that's sort of self-evident now, but it's it's amazing how many people still are dragging their feet out of concerns around misuse of, of that data. And I think it needs to be it needs to be addressed. Do you want to talk about extracting oneself if things don't work out? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, again, work with people who can help you architect that in a way that that you can get beyond that. All of the public cloud providers offer um, you know, uh, uh, proprietary services, which can give you amazing jump starts and help you get a lot more done with a lot less code and management. And I highly recommend them, but if the nature of what you're doing needs you to move from cloud to cloud, hey, we invented Kubernetes for that reason, to enable you to run workloads in a way that sort of uh, abstracts the underlying cloud provider and, and should allow a certain amount of transportability. Also, Look for places where increasingly cloud providers are actually building, building multi-cloud and intra-cloud capabilities within their own platforms. You can take certain, again, I can speak mainly for Google, you can take certain Google proprietary technologies like BigQuery and literally run it on Amazon Cloud. Keep your data on AWS and Redshift or S3 or wherever you need it, but compute on it using Google's um, technology executing on AWS servers so that you don't have egress charges, you don't have movement of data between, and you free yourself up then to be able to move data and systems between clouds, pull yourself out of one if you need to. Um, there, there's just some really incredible work going on, I think, across all of the major cloud vendors right now, trying to address that concern, but it, it has to be done, it has to be done carefully, right? So you need people who know the space and who can help you guide your architecture in a way that will not lock you in. So far, is is there anxiety sometimes uh, in getting into these contracts because it's such a large commitment or it feels that way? I mean, what what is your advice for, number one, selecting the right partner that you're going to use for cloud? What are some things to think about? And then what do you think about, you know, the contracting process to make sure you're comfortable that if if we decide to go in a different direction, I can get out of this? Yeah, so I don't think, I mean, I agree with Michael. I don't think technologically there are challenges now to using cloud. We are in 2021. I think the vendors need to do a better job for us to trust them because there is still that 
can I trust the big three or can I not trust the big three? And that causes some some level of stress within healthcare organizations who who are more used to that hand-holding action. Certainly in pediatrics, it's true, right? We, we like to be handheld through everything. Contracting, I found, and we have master service agreements with all of them, takes a long time. There's a lot of discussion, negotiation, legal costs, agreements, disagreements, and the cloud vendors really do need to take a look at how they agree with healthcare organizations specifically, because what you tend to get is the generic master service agreement, and then you tend to fight out why healthcare is so important. So I think there's still a lack of understanding on the vendor side that healthcare is different than if we were doing retail in the cloud. And, you know, patient data is something that people worry about all the time. And so there needs to be that level of assurance. Granted, technologically, you can make the argument that things are secure, encrypted, key, public keys, primary keys are all safe, et cetera. But we, we as IT technologists and healthcare organizations also need to convince our doctors and nurses and our parents and our patients and, and everybody else that we know that that is actually true, right? And so you can have a contract as much as you want, but that doesn't mean that there won't be issues um, with the technology. So I think they've got to reduce the time it takes to agree these, these different agreements because it's taking way too long, on average six to nine months to make an agreement. And then there needs to be more communication from the vendor partners in terms of what are they really doing to help healthcare versus, you know, it seems to be the flavor of the month that some big cloud company comes up with we're doing healthcare this week, okay? And they've been doing it last week and the week before that, but not necessarily in the best way, right? So deal with the culture would be my advice to vendors. And certainly that's what I've been giving in terms of advice to vendors. But yeah, I mean, I completely agree with the comments made that Aaron's made, Michael's made. You know, the reality is it makes sense to use the cloud because of its capability, and its compute capability and the vastness of it. Question is, how do we manage it in a simpler way? And I would also say, Anthony, I, I exactly agree with Zaffer, but, but one other thing is that healthcare is transacted at the speed of trust. So how do you, how do you accelerate that transaction cost exactly what Zaffer was talking about? I have found transparency and really getting your act together and showing the enterprise this is what this vendor is or isn't doing, providing the SOC 2 type 3s, type 2s, whatnot. They have good certification, either it's high trust or they certified a NIST or ISO something. Um, and continuously partnering with your compliance and legal team, you know, and internal audit. As much as I think it's easy for IT leaders to go, oh man, here's legal again. Oh man, here's compliance again. If you take the time and invest conversations and do your due diligence and try as much as you can to show your cards and say, this is everything I know about vendor X, Y, and Z. Here is a complete, you know, sort of risk management strategy, what I'm, what I'm thinking. Yes, the technology works, but maybe there's these other trade-offs. Those conversations go a long way, which help speed up and accelerate the transactional costs to making something happen with a BAA with some large vendor. And also, don't be afraid to engage certain specific startups that are helping to manage third-party risk or identify where EPHI lives, 
Uh, we're working with a couple startups out of Boston to do exactly that because my point is I want to provide real-time dashboards on third-party risk management as well as EPHI management, both in transit and at rest, so that my compliance and the legal team, when I come to them with XYZ giant contract in the future saying I want to contract with this vendor, they're like, okay, we know where all their agreements are. We know what's going on with this vendor. We know where all the EPHI is and any you know PII and other stuff. We feel good about it, right? Which makes the other conversations then a lot easier because there's not this inherent, oh, should we trust you? Should we, should we, you know, should we go on a date? Should we not go on a date? You know, that that <laughs> is that is mitigated at that point. Uh, let's talk, Michael, let's talk a little bit more about trust. We seem to be touching on trust a lot. And it's probably because getting involved with a cloud vendor is it feels like a big commitment. It feels like it's not something you're gonna change your mind on next week, right? You wanna make sure you're doing it right and then get in. Here's my question. If you're either a buyer or a seller, a CIO or the vendor, um, mostly let's take this from the CIO point of view, making the agreement. We tend to talk about trust. We talk about people. We talk about, uh, I like dealing with that person. They have a great reputation. But the person could leave, right? So you can't put too much into that person who's so great and you trust them 100% because they might be gone. So how do you balance trust in the individuals you're dealing with, which is extremely important, but yet separate that somewhat from trust in the entity, which is not going to change? Yeah, I mean, look, the good news is your lawyers will help, right, with that. Because at the at the level of engagements that we're talking about, again, the folks, the kind of folks who attend a webinar like this, um, you're 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 not going to be engaging with a cloud vendor without ample support and involvement from your legal team. I, I, I really liked actually what Aaron was talking about with how sometimes our, our approach within our organizations is to be frustrated and annoyed at security audits and all of those questions and things we have to answer. And we're like, look, this is a good solution. Let's just use it. But honestly, the best path, I'm going to get to the question about trust with the vendor here, Anthony, but part of the path to that is through trust within your own organization, right? So I have in the past done things like set up weekly CISO lunches and um, uh, gotten in the habit of any little thing that my team did in IT that might have been out of compliance with some little thing, man, I write that thing up and I send it over to the security and compliance folks immediately and don't wait for them to, to you know, catch me out on it in an audit so that they know that. And over time, what happens is you build up this sort of mutual sense of, look, they can trust you because they know that you're interested in doing things for the right reason. And you can trust them because as you're working together, you're going to start to understand better the value that they're bringing. And then together, you can start to bring that balance to bear when you go off to the vendor. Anthony, you're right. Don't buy cloud services because you like the salesperson, right? <laughs> uh, because that salesperson is going to get their commission and they're going to wander off. Do begin to exert trust when you start to see that the partner that you're working with has a strong history uh, of true partnership with the other clients who are like you, right? Um, do look for, and, and I'm talking about partners, meaning both like the cloud providers and then the folks like SADA and others in our ecosystem who are kind of little fish swimming around the big fish trying to help everybody get together, right? We're here to help connect you in with, with Google. Um, if, if we are doing our job right at SADA, there are a long list of people that you can call up and say, how has it been working with them for the last five years, 10 years? What's that experience been like? 
when the crisis came, because in that time period, crises are going to come, how did they respond, right? It's only over time that you can get trust. And since you can't spend that much time evaluating the partner, you're going to evaluate them in concert with your trusted security and legal people internally, and then via the prior relationships that those that those uh, partners are able to offer up for you as references. Zafar, two 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 thoughts, two questions for you. One is, it seems your big issue you were talking about is is the speed these things are taking. You know, six, seven, eight months. You want to do them, but they're taking a long time. So it's like you're asking for the vendors, hey, figure it out on your end to where we can move this through faster. Is that that's accurate? Yeah, I mean. You know, Michael talks about lawyers, but I can tell you that if you if you really need to ever pick up a contract that you signed with a vendor to talk about contract, yeah. then that's the wrong vendor to do business with, right? And so the cloud vendors tend to throw you in the deep end with their team of lawyers. They just have banks of them who just want to fight things through. What they really need to do is build an agreement that works for healthcare which is replicable and repeatable. Mm -hmm. And then that stops me and Aaron and other CIOs having to go through the same process and pain for months on end, right? And when we talk about trust, there's a component of trust with the health system and the executives in the health system and the vendor. But what about the people that work in my team, right? So the minute Google, AWS, and all these cloud vendors pop up, my server guys start to have a panic attack, right? Oh my God, I'm not gonna manage a server anymore. I'm not gonna manage storage anymore. That means I'm not gonna have a job. Oh, that's a bad idea. We don't wanna go to the cloud. <laughs> so we need help from the vendors as well as to how we tackle that. Because you as a team of server engineers in a small IT shop view the Azure's, the AWS's, the Google's as the big behemoth with the attitude and the arrogance that comes with it. So those barriers also have to be broken down because me as a CIO not only have to convince my business that cloud is the right way to go, but I also have to convince my engineers that they can retrain, they can learn new skills. And I'm not seeing a lot of help from the vendor in that space. I'm getting a lot of presentations from the vendor to say, we're great, we're amazing, we have compute, we have AI, but they never provide any change management help to help the CIO work through, because you're fighting multiple battles, right? So it's great that with the pandemic, we're not fighting the clinician battle because they're asking us for digital transformation, but I'm still fighting the staff battle and I'm still fighting my legal team saying we don't have bandwidth to support another master service agreement with what, another technology company? No, 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 we don't want to do that. So we need help in different areas that aren't just technology related to get to the outcome that we're trying to get to in the partnership. I would say vendor relationships are like a marriage, more bad times than good times. But if we hit seven years, we might actually get somewhere. So that's really where we need to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with Zaffer. Um, I, I would also say this as a proof point, uh, and I have told all the CSPs this numerous times, it blows my mind that some of them don't even have healthcare-specific account managers. They lump you under some general account manager that takes care of a dozen other industries 
and they don't actually understand the nuances of healthcare. And they think, well, aren't you like everybody else? No. And no, you cannot not bring a clinician to a meeting with clinicians. And no, I don't want to see a PowerPoint from just somebody that whipped this together or from your bank of lawyers. Like we need to talk to people. And it's amazing to me the attitude of, oh, healthcare is very different, right? Just, just generally speaking from the CSPs. But there are people like technical people within each of the cloud providers that are brilliant, right? There's brilliant people I've encountered in Google and Amazon and, and Azure and Mike. These are brilliant people. But they're always like hidden away. The people on the outside that engage with you typically are generalists that try very hard, but 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 bless their heart. Another saying here from the South, they just don't know. And so you hit them with these you know, with these questions like, okay, I need to share case data with the CDC immediately. It needs to be in this kind of format and this kind of thing. It needs to be an HL set interface. It cannot be API. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's a yeah. dictionary? Explain what you just said. That doesn't work. The speed of agility and speed of trust is putting people in the same room together that can have a conversation. And so I would give advice to all the cloud providers, reorganize with healthcare as a specific focus. Focus on healthcare, understand the challenges of healthcare, have a conversation in healthcare speak. And I'm sorry, it's not that healthcare is unique and special and different. We just do different things. We're in the business of keeping people alive. If you make socks for a living, that's great. I'm sure you do a great job, but I'm not in the business of making socks. Don't tell me about lean manufacturing processes for making socks. When I'm taking care of people in the ED, half of them are COVID positive with who knows what variant. I, I don't have time for that. So there's a lot that then you need a third-party company like a SATA or someone to come in and help you decipher. But why is it always that difficult for even the most basic conversations? That's where it starts for trust. Yeah, Aaron, I, I was going to say that you know, there, there is a solution here that is known. It's actually understood by the CSPs. So a pitch, not just for SADA or for Google, but regardless of which of the, we're really talking about the public cloud providers here, regardless of which of the public cloud provider you're seeking to align with, there will be an ecosystem of these smaller implementation partners. And it is within that ecosystem that you're going to find the expertise that you're talking about that bridge the specifics of healthcare needs not just technology and terminology, but also contracting, because we contract directly with our clients. We don't we don't utilize the Google contracting; we do our own. Um, that that helps to address these things, and that's intentional because Amazon, Microsoft, and Google they want to keep building Lego bricks. They want to keep coming up with neat little technical inventions. And it, it doesn't scale well for them to build a bunch of industry specializations. And so they enable these partner ecosystems to make that happen. Part of the reason I'm saying this is because for years at CU, I had my, we were working directly with Google and I had my Google rep saying, hey, we want to get this partner involved here. They can give you a bunch of help. They can do a bunch of things that we can't do. And I'm like, nah, nah, nah. I don't want to complicate this. I like working directly with Google. So now here I am in the partner and I see that it's, we are here to solve exactly the problem so far and Aaron that you guys are talking about, which is bridging the gap between the sort of generic technology of the cloud provider and the solutions that industries need. And it includes how we put technology to use to move HL7 messages around, but it also includes um, how do we contract in a way that is effective and not six to nine months for healthcare organizations? And how do we help you know, engage transformation within your IT organization, knowing that healthcare IT organizations are a little bit different from other kinds of organizations. It runs that whole gamut. So regardless of who the partner is or who the technology is, I would recommend that the solution to the problem that we're talking about here is to bring in 
somebody who, who can bring those expertise, kind of work with you in a triangle with your cloud provider and bridge that gap. Michael, what's a good term for that company like SADA? This is an um, in, uh, just an interim or... I don't know, what's a yeah, good... no, it's a, where you 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 say I'm I'm looking for an AWS partner, partner. right? Yeah. Or a Google partner, right? Um, and you can put in there Google Healthcare Partner, AWS Healthcare Partner, Google Partner Healthcare Implementation, and and you'll find them, um, and you'll find lists, and you'll find them right on the the endorsed ones with certifications and credentials on the websites of Amazon, Microsoft, Google Clouds. Uh, and I, I do want to echo what Michael's saying. I think it is important to work with an, an integration company that, that does speak all multi-language and, and, and multi-cloud. But I will say though, that I, I would push back a little bit in that I do think it's important for the CIOs, especially in healthcare, to have direct confidence with the various cloud providers. I mean, I remember flying to California. We just, we just were actually about to launch a major platform on GCP for opioid syndromic surveillance. And um, for those of you who are on my LinkedIn, I actually posted a quick video about this yesterday. It's a really, really neat platform. A lot of credit to our, our psych department and led by Dr. Tracy Claiborne. But I had to use an integrator to help me get there, right? But I flew to California to meet with Google face-to-face, -to, -face, to meet with their product team and actually talk to them and say, do you guys got the goods? Like, show me what you're building. And this was in 2019, right? Before COVID, before all that. Because before I even chose a CSP, I wanted to make sure that... I understood clearly that they got the goods, right? It's it's one thing to have a skilled group of folks that can speak and translate English to Portuguese to French. It's another thing to say, am I actually going to get what I need? And more importantly, in my case, tell Dr. Claiborne and her team of brilliant researchers and clinicians, you will have a syndromic surveillance platform funded by Texas HHSC that's going to work, yes or no. I had to have that confidence. As a CIO, you have to have that. And so it's one thing to have just trust and confidence in the integrator. I agree that's important but you gotta have confidence with the actual public cloud provider itself. That's where their focus, and I understand that they are they are split across multiple domains. They should have people that can talk to you straight up and say, yep, and they do, they just squirrel them away. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I would say, look for cloud providers that don't try to set themselves up as a barrier between you and the CSP, right? I use the word triangle because what that, what that partner should do should be there to enhance and build your relationship directly with the CSP, not to act as a replacement for it, right? So that's, I think that's a nuance and you'll find partners of both flavors. Look for one that helps to improve your relationship directly with Google, Amazon, AWS. I think that's the right balance. I think that's what you're talking about, Aaron. Mm -hmm. So far, does, what are your thoughts on this, uh, that, that integrator partner that'll help uh, work, you know, remove some of the friction and, and problems and non-healthcare specific approach uh, to, to sort of be a partner almost and help you deal with the large CSP. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think having a specialist partner doesn't do any harm as long as the specialist partner doesn't add another contract that you have to sign. And then also to Aaron's point about the vendor, the vendors you know, in this space need to also stop changing account representatives. Because what I find is in, in companies like AWS and Google, you meet some people, they make a bucket load of promises, and three months later, they've been promoted. And that continually seems to happen, and therefore you don't have any longevity, and that still goes back to trust. I mean, people, at the end of the day, people buy from people, and I know with certain vendors who to call when I have issues, when I need something, 
even just for a chat. And I know that that person will be consistent for years on end. That's not what I've seen with the cloud providers. They have lots of really bright people that they hire who promise the world and are never to be found again in that space. So yeah, I think having an integrator in the middle is a good idea and maybe the integrator has a lot more. I think Michael articulated, you know, the relationship could be longer lasting and therefore you know who to trust to move forwards. But at the same time, completely agree with Aaron that direct communication with the vendor to understand their strategies and their roadmaps has to also happen because we as CIOs have to assure the people we work for that we're completely on top of both angles in this space. When the board calls me or Zapper into the room to have a discussion, you better look them dead in the eye and be 100%, 120% confident in what you're saying. I, yep. I can tell you when we did the, this platform we're launching, when I was first talking about it, it happened to be about the same time that Project Nightingale kerfuffle happened with a major health system across the country. And I had so many questions of, we don't want to be on the front page. We're not going to be. Here's how we are assured that, how we know that. Had nothing to do with delivering the goods. It had everything to do with trust. You have to have it as a CIO. Safford's exactly right. What What's the best way to screw it up, Aaron? Trust as a CIO. Uh, not communicating enough, even when you don't know something, and going into it with any type of question mark over your head that what the heck are you doing, basically? So you better have everybody in line, everybody in the room together, understanding it, and you better be fully transparent with your cards. That's the way to do it. Zafar, how do you screw up trust as a CIO? Well, I think every CIO must keep their promises. And that's why it is so important for us to trust the people we work with. Because Aaron's right. When you're in that boardroom and somebody says to you, are you sure this thing is going to work? And you say, yes, it is. <laughs> that could be the end of your career. I mean, I'll give you an example in our own environment. When I decided to, we, we did a CERN to Epic migration in the middle of a pandemic. and when I went to the board and said, I no longer want to host this system and I want to put it in the Dell Virtue Stream cloud, my entire EHR, and I know it's going to perform. The questions I was asked was, is it going to work? Is it going to perform? All of those questions. And, and they wouldn't agree until I gave them my personal guarantee that this thing is going to work, right? At the time, I would argue that I wasn't completely sure, right? But, <laughs> I made the agreement knowing that we we couldn't continue to host it, right? It just didn't make any sense and buying millions in hardware. And if you've ever used the Epic system, they always need more RAM and they always need more storage. I couldn't keep up with that. So cloud made complete sense. But yeah, you know, Aaron's right. You're standing in front of a group of people who are typically really smart in their own fields. And certainly in Seattle, many of my board members run tech companies. And I'm standing there saying, yeah, I'm going to go with this partner for these reasons. And I'm absolutely sure it's going to be on time, on budget. It's not going to break down. It's going to have the uptimes, you know, whilst internally you're sweating, thinking, wow, OK, are we really <laughs> going to get this thing done? Right. So that that's the difficult part of the, the role of the CIO. Right. Because we really have to provide confidence and assurance to just so many people on a day in, day out basis. I guess it's not good enough to answer uh, when they ask you if you're sure it's going to work. It's probably not good enough to say probably. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> you don't want to say that. that conversation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the whole, you're, probably your contract will be renewed. It'll probably be the follow-up if you sent that to them. Probably. Right. Probably. Yeah. All right. 
Um, listen, we're running short on time. Michael, I want to give you an opportunity for a final thought, uh, something you want the audience to take away. We've covered a lot of ground here. What do you want to leave them with? Well, first of all, I, I, as soon as we're done here, I'm writing a bunch of notes from all of the stuff that I've picked up from Aaron and Zafar, because really everything that you're talking about, about the challenges in, in, in working with cloud vendors, it's my job to figure out how to solve those challenges. And, and there are ways in which I feel like, okay, actually, I think we're doing pretty well on that and ways in which I'm thinking that's something that we need to do better on. So first of all, my gratitude for the two of you and the insights and things that you're bringing here, hopefully useful to the audience, definitely useful to me um, uh, individually. And I guess the, the other thing I would say is really really just to, to tag onto this question about trust. I tell my teams that it, it's actually the moment that you say no or you say I'm not I'm not certain that you build trust because it's easy to say yes and to promise every time that this is going to work for every occasion and and since this is an intelligent group here you know that that's not true you know that the cloud isn't suitable for every workload and you know that every cloud vendor isn't perfect and every cloud partner has got limitations to their capabilities and so if we're talking to you as a as a as a market and saying everything is going to be great and perfect and easy, then you know that we're hiding something, or you know that we're not qualified to do the work that we're doing. When we can make it clear, here's what's going to work great, and here's what isn't going to work at all, and here's some things in the middle that are going to be challenging. That that's the foundation of, of trust, I think. And then committing together to work together in partnership over time to work through the issues that arise so that you see our commitment. That's how we get there in the end. So that's the kind of organization that we're trying to build. It's the kind of organization that I think anybody working in this space needs to build in order to address the, the many really important questions and concerns that Aaron and Zafar have brought up today. All right, excellent. That's about all we had time for today. Great conversation, learned a lot. Uh, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming sessions. And with that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Dr. Zafar Chaudhry, Aaron Miri, and Michael Ames, and I want to thank Sada for sponsoring and making the conversation possible. And I want to thank you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.